Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, May 3rd, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, May 1st, is 7519. That's 7519. This morning, A Vision for You presents Reborn, My Transformation Through the Twelve Steps. The big book was written as a set of directions for doing the 12 steps. The promise of the 12-step process is one of a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. The 12 steps are a specific method for producing this personal transformation, a rebirth, not of body, but of our minds. We are changed in the way we think, feel, and behave. As a result of this transformation, we experience a freedom from the obsession of the mind, the greater aspect of our disease. We have been restored to sanity. The steps have removed the obstacles which block us from the higher power deep down within us. So we now have contact with that higher power and are restored to sanity. We have been transformed. We have been reborn. Joining us this morning is Du L, a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Du is dedicated to living the 12 steps, enlarging her spiritual life, and carrying this message of recovery. Welcome to the line, Du. Good morning, Leah, and good morning, Vision for You. Uh, thank you very much. This is Du L, recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God. And um, wow, uh, it's so good to be here. And and I like to start off with um, inviting God in by by praying that um, he gives me the wisdom and the knowledge and the spirit to convey his message and not my own and to recollect the things that I have learned through this process and that I can be helpful to others. And um, and I'll start off by giving you a, a little recap of my history, and then I'm going to give you a couple of snapshots of how I went through the process of the 12 steps and what I had to do in order to recover. And so uh, my, I'll, I'll give you a little history first about, about myself. Um, I am a uh, recovered um, alcoholic. I, I, I went through the process of, of first going through this, um, trying to get one of my binge foods, which was uh, in liquid form, which I call alcohol, um, first down. And I thought that that would solve my problems. I thought that that was the key ingredient that I needed to do. But after uh, coming in, in into AA in 2005, um, what happened is that I switched addictions and I went into compulsive overeating for the next four years. And for those four years, I gained weight up to 249 pounds. I, uh, my life had become totally unmanageable at that point in time. I had a lot of difficulties um, I had, you know, a manageability with the weight. I had a manageability with, with my family life. I had a manageability with, 
you know, um, uh, with with my own thoughts and my own emotions. I wanted to, at that point, commit suicide, and I, you know, lost custody of my son. And I mean, I had just numerous, numerous, numerous problems. Um, and I didn't seem to be able to get a hold of my food. I could not control the amounts of food that I was taking in, and I could not control um, the way things were working out in my life. And and so I knew I needed something more than just, you know, uh, I, I, I had to acknowledge that something was not right, you know. And, and what I realized in hindsight is that I had gotten sober, but I did not get recovered. And and that's where it brings me to this point where I had to look for something to help me to recover. And so um, at that point, I went to my therapist and I said, you know, I, I just can't anymore. I just can't do this. I, I it, Nothing seems to be working in my life. And, um, and she had referred me to OA. And I, you know, it, it's it's so funny how these um, programs are so anonymous because I had been in a 12-step program for a number of years, and yet I've never heard of OA. <laughs> and so um, so she told me, go there and, and investigate and see what happens. And, and I did. I, I went to um, OA, and um, I, I didn't hear what I was looking for there. I, I just I just heard people talking about problems and problems with the food, but I didn't hear um, how to get out of the problem. And I, I was a little frustrated until someone invited me over to the phone line and um, they said, I, I know about these meetings that they have on the phone and um, maybe you'll find something that you're looking for there. And, and if you listen very carefully to people that have what you want, maybe you'll find what you what you need. And um, and that's what I did. I, I went on the phone line and um, and I heard these meetings and I heard I heard someone talk about um, there was a, a big book study. Um, and I was interested in learning more and learning what what this was all about, and uh, and that's what I did. I, I started in this meeting, and I started to listen to these people, and I started to read the big book, and and in a very very short time, my ego got puffed up, and uh, and I thought, well, I'm a good reader. I can I can I can do this. I can follow directions. I can find my way through this, and. Uh, and I started to, uh, what some people say in program, sponsoring myself. Because <laughs> uh, I would take suggestions, but the only suggestions that I would take were the ones that were accommodating to me and, and what I wanted uh, to, to get a result out of. But I didn't follow exactly, precisely what this big book had to offer. And one of the things I've learned uh, in, in this process um, if you go to the um, to the four to the first edition, um, it, it says there that uh, that these men and women, uh, more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly helpless state of mind and body, um, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. 
And if I don't follow that recipe of following exactly precisely what this book has to offer, uh, I, I'm not going to recover. And that's what happened to me. I, I stayed in OA. I've been in OA for six years, uh, since 2009. Um, I, I've been recovered for the last year, uh, um, uh, April 22nd, 2000, uh, 2014. And, you know, and it, it was an arduous journey. It was, it was very difficult because I wanted to do things my way and my way, um, didn't work. And so, um, I had a, a hard travel on this journey because I did not want to submit. I did not want to surrender and I did not want to give up uh, to following directions. And I think that's um, the biggest crux for um, people that come into OA is that they're so used to doing things their way that it's hard to give up that way when you're set on your way. And uh, for me, that, that's, that's what happened. Um, you know, and, and then just, just giving you a little bit um, a little bit more about my background. I, I was a person who never gained a lot of weight until um, I had that switch in um, 2009. Um, so I, and, and I came from a background where I came from extreme abuse, um, physically, uh, mentally, uh, sexually, um, and spiritually. Uh, my parents were really um, not fit parents to care for children, <laughs> put it that way. And, uh, you know, and because of that, I, I um, because I had parents like that, I was brought up not having a lot of food in the house. I, I, I was, um, one of the forms of punishment that they used on us was to starve us. And so because I didn't have a, a lot of food around the house, I don't think that my disease manifested as rapidly or as as quickly as as for for some other people that I, I hear their stories. And so um, I uh, I noticed that about myself. But when I when I switched addictions um, in 2009, I had the money, I had the resources to go out there and get the food that I wanted and and thought I needed. And um, quickly, the, the results were that my, my life became totally unmanageable. Um, I, gained, I gained the weight, and um, I had health problems, and I just had a, a really hard time uh, getting along in life. And so, you know, that's kind of like uh, the short end of my, my story. And, and the reason why I'm not going to... Um, uh, spend a lot of time on on what it used to be like is because I think most of us know that 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 that's the description for most of us. I mean, our stories may vary in in different um, different areas uh, of our stories, but it's kind of like still the same. And um, and it explains it in um, the doctor's opinion that there are many types um, of alcoholics. And, uh, and it talks about the many types of alcoholics in XXX, and that could be translated to compulsive overeaters. But, uh, 
All of these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking or, in our case, eating without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, is a manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people. And that's what I have to, that's what I have to keep in mind, that my story is just like everybody else's. And my story is that I have an allergy, uh, you know, that manifests in my body. And I have a mental obsession that keeps me going back to the food because my mental obsession is that someday, somehow, I will eat like a normal person. And when I came into program and I, I got a recovered sponsor, and I think um, I had many sponsors in OA, uh, but I, I finally, finally gave in to one that really took me through this process and helped me to recover, and that was in 2012, um, where I said, you know, I, I really need help. I can't do this anymore, and I, I, I want to go through these steps, and I want to know exactly what's wrong with me because I, I can't seem to stop eating these foods, and I thought all foods are the same. You know, I thought there was no difference in the food, um, that there was, there, there, there was something that I know that was wrong with me. I thought maybe there's an absence of God. Maybe there's an absence of something that's not, maybe I'm not practicing something right. Maybe I'm not doing something right. Um, but I did not understand this concept of an allergy. And it wasn't until that time where the sponsor took me through the big book and helped me to understand what an allergy was. And she said, you know, an allergy is a high sensitivity to certain substances that can cause you a reaction. And for, you know, alcoholics and compulsive overeaters, the reaction is that we can't stop eating. We can't stop drinking. We can't stop once we start. And, and that's the reaction that when I introduce certain substances, and she says, it's not all substances either. It's certain substances that are introduced into your body that causes you to go off to the races. And so we discussed that. And, um, and I said, well, well, what does that look like? And, and she said, well, do you, do you binge on, on Brussels sprouts or, or vegetables? And I said, oh, no, I don't even, I don't even have that in my food plant. <laughs> so, um, but she says, but do you, do you binge? What, what are the things that you binge on? And then I listed all the things that I binged on, and, and that was mostly sugar for me, um, sugar and fats and quantities. And, um, and flour, which is, is a substance of sugar. So, um, and salt I didn't have too much of a problem with, so I didn't put that on my binge food list, but, but at least sugar and fats were the number one um, uh, contributing factors to my problem of this allergy. And so she took me over to the fact on um, XXVIII and said, well, you know, if you have this allergy, that means that you're going to have this phenomenal craving of wanting more and more. And so what, what, what needs to be done? And I said, yeah, what, what needs to be done? And she said, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. So if I have these binge foods, I can't use them in any form at all. 
And so we started to look at the many different forms that I was having sugar in. And sugar is not just processed refined sugar. Um, it came in all different types of um, uh, forms. It came in, in, in sweeteners. It came, for me, it came in sweeteners. It came in honey. It came in um, all these uh, different um, additives and um, processed foods. And then, um, and then for the fast, it came in cream, in, in, um, in butter, in oils, and in, in all of those forms. And I, I had to look at that. And I also had to look at, there's nothing uh, wrong with fats as long as they're the appropriate portion sizes. Um, at least for me, that was the case. And I was in taking them in the appropriate portion sizes. And so I had to look at that. And, um, and the next step was um, in order to make a beginning um, on page 13, it says uh, the elimination of your alcohol and your binge foods is just the beginning. So I, I had to look at that, 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 that I had to put them down. So um, the next step was the elimination of, of those binge foods. And it says back in um, XXX, it says that... Um, this phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be a manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as distinct entity and has never been by the treatment with which a familiar permanent has been permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So that was my next step. My next step was to put down the food and, you know, to admit that I was powerless over them, that I had no control over these foods. And once I pick up the food and try to control these particular foods, not all foods, but these particular foods, that my life would result being unmanageable, that my food would become unmanageable. And, um, and once I understood that and I was able to put those foods down, then I was ready for something bigger, something better. And, um, and I was like, well, where does this leave me? Because I still have this obsession that I believe this life that I can have these foods. And, um, and I keep going back to them. And I don't know how to, how to get rid of that part. You know, um, I, I've already put my food down. Uh, we've gone through a food plan. Um, You've shown me how to get a, a, a proper food plan for myself, but now what's the next step? You know, because it seems like I can't seem to uh, stop thinking about these foods. And one of the things that um, the big book tells me is on page 23 that these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. And that was, that was key too for me because I had to understand that it wasn't just physical, but it was also mental. And the mental part, here, here's an explanation of what that mental looks like. It says, if you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any of 100 alibis Sometimes these excuses have certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc of the alcoholic's drinking bout creates. 
And when I read that, I understood that the, the mental obsession was the excuses, the justifications, the alibis, the possibilities that I created within myself to go back to those foods. And so I said, well, you know, at this point, I, I have admitted that I have no control over my foods, that I'm powerless, that when I try to control my foods, that my life becomes unmanageable. And now I have this mental obsession that I'm becoming aware of, and uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about that. And in more about alcoholism, it talks about the fact that we have to fully concede to our inner selves that we were alcoholics, that this is the first step in recovery, the delusion that we are like other people, presently maybe has to be smashed. And the idea that somehow, some, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is a great obsession of every abnormal drinker. And for me, that's, that's what it was. I had to start taking and smashing those ideas that were keeping me in the food. And I had to look at those things that I had as reservations, as um, experimentation, because I knew, I knew that my experience showed that on page 31, it says, despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe that they're in this class, but by every form of self-deception experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exception to the rule, therefore non-alcoholics. And that was my case. I tried to prove every which way that I could still introduce these binge foods, eat safely, and not have the consequences of gaining a weight, overweight, or having health problems. And, and when I started looking at some of these ideas, what, uh, this is where I'll get into my story and give you a couple of snapshots of what that looked like. Um, when I was in my food, I, I said, well, I have this disorder. Um, uh, because I, I suffer from, from all the abuse that I went through, I developed this disorder of uh, multiple personality disorder, which just basically means that I have a memory problem and that, you know, I can't remember a lot of times what I do or, or, or how I function at times. And it, it looks like I have erratic behaviors, but in reality, it's, it's just memory lost and, um, and I can't. I, I can't remember things. And so that presented a problem for me when I was recovering because when I came to step one, I said, well, you know, I have this problem with this disorder and that's an, that's an excuse to, whether consciously or subconsciously, that's an excuse that I have that keeps me in the food. And, and so, I'm so I'm so grateful that God had the infinite wisdom to bring the sponsor that he did into my life because I tell you, the sponsor who's recovered, she's a big book teacher, and she took every excuse out of the equation. <laughs> and so we started to work together, and she says, well, you know, if you have this amnesia, she says, then that means you got to work harder. And, and you're going to have to take responsibility for these parts. And you're going to have to take responsibility for your recovery. And one of the ways you're going to do that is you're going to formulate a food plan that's going to include these other parts. And you're going to, you know, address those parts and, and their foods. And so I have little 
parts in me that are child parts. And, and so I had to create a food plan that was appropriate for them, which was I had snack packs for them, um, which had the nutritional value for, for them without having my binge foods in it. And then if teenage parts came out, then I had to have an appropriate food plan for them. I had to cook in advance. I had to prep the food. I had to freeze it and put a note on the refrigerator uh, saying that if one of these parts would come out, that they would have their food there. And it also meant that I could not have any of my binge foods in the house. It also meant uh, as far as behaviors that I had to clean out my garbage because a lot of times when these parts would come out because I was, I was um, someone who suffered from starvation, I would go and go into the, the garbage can, pick the food from a garbage can, eat, eat from the garbage can, and then be sick and not know why I was sick and why I was throwing up and why I had these, um, these ailments. And so when I started to address uh, my food that way um, and address what was suggested in this program about smashing those ideas and smashing those excuses, then I was able to stay abstinent. And I had not the excuse that I was going to switch out and I was not going to remember. So that was one, one of the things that I had to work with um, in, in my program to take away the excuses. Um, other excuses, of course, was, you know, um, I, you know, my own reservations about certain foods and, and um, looking at them like I could not live without them. And one of the things my sponsor had told me initially, she says, you know, um, God is not going to save you from your friends. He will save you from your enemies. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? She said, well, as long as the foods are your friends and you keep thinking of them as your friends, you will never be able to put them down. And so I had to change my thinking about how I felt about these foods that I love so much. And, and she told me, she says, there's nothing wrong with mourning the loss of these foods. Uh, if you want to go through a mourning period, you can do that. But, you know, bottom line is they need to be put down. And, and that's what I did. I wanted recovery more than anything else. And um, I had the willingness to go to any length to get it. And, and that meant that even though the suggestions at times didn't seem like agreeable to me, um, I would do it anyways. And uh, I, I remember uh, when I went through my food plan with my sponsor, she told me to go to the website and look at what appropriate portion sizes look like. And, and so I came back to her and I was very happy about the fruit because um, I, I was having 18 ounces of fruit, which meant that I was, I was having high fructose in, in, my, in my food plan. And, um, and so I came back to her and said, well, it says 12 ounces. And, um, and that's what I should have. And so she says, okay, you know, uh, she says, why don't you try going down to eight ounces? And of course, I got very tight when she suggested that. And I said, but it says 12 ounces. And I wanted to argue with her. And she says, oh, you know, why don't you try it? If you don't have a problem, the, the thing is, if you're trying to control something, it's already out of control. So why don't you try it and see what you learn from it? 
And I'm so glad that I followed her suggestion because as soon as I tried it, I felt a withdrawal and I felt that I was having too much fruit. And um, even though the USDA said 12 ounces, I, was, I tried eight and I, and I learned that I, I was highly allergic to high fructose. And so I had to also put that down. And so when I did all that, I, I was ready to go to step two because now I said, well, what else do I do? Where, where do I go with the mental obsession? Because obviously, you know, I put down the food. It says that it's academic, um, but I have this greater aspect that, you know, is the mental obsession. And she says, well, now you're ready for step two. And after we went through the doctor's opinion and we went through um, Bill's story, we were ready to go into there's a solution. And in there's a solution, I, I met other problems. <laughs> because now I'm being asked to believe in a power greater than myself. And I was like, well, I can't believe in a power greater than myself because, you know, I, I, I am angry with God because God allowed these things to happen to me as a child. So I don't want anything to do with God. And, um, how could I, you ask me to go and have this, um, this, uh, this thing with this higher power? And she says, you can relax and take it easy. She says, I'm not asking for anything that you can't already do. And, um, and she took me to page 25. And it says, if you are seriously alcoholics as we are, we believe that there's no middle of the road solution. We're in a position where life was becoming impossible. And I had to admit, my life was pretty much impossible. And if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, and I tried every human aid, I tried therapy, I tried um, exercising, I tried diet pills, I tried um, all these forms of different alternatives, and they did not work. Um, we had but two alternatives, and my alternative was one was to go to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of the intolerable situation through compulsive overeating, or I could accept help, accept spiritual help, and I knew I had no options. I was cornered. I was, I was in a corner, and I had no way out, <laughs> and so I said, well, you know, all I have to do is look at my sponsor, and it says here on, on the top of 25, if we're approached by those in whom the problem has been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up this simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. And that's where I was. I was defeated. I had no idea where to turn. I had seen the recovery in my sponsor. I wanted what these recovered people had. I was willing to go to any length. And even though this was very hard for me to turn to a power greater than myself that had not been there for me, I was willing to do whatever it took. And then in more about, um, more uh, in, in we agnostics, it says that lack of power, that was our dilemma. And we had to find a power greater, uh, a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. And that's where uh, the next step that my sponsor took me. She said, well, let's look at what that power looks like and um, for you. And it can be your own conception of a power greater than yourself. And, um, 
And I said, well, okay, you know, I, I have a lot of prejudice towards God. And she says, well, you know, for now, just put that on the shelf and, and just lay aside your prejudice and, and let's look at, you know, at, at what this power can look like. And so I, I got very technical. So I wanted to go back to the old God that didn't work. And I wanted to look at the different um, aspects of, of trying to understand God before I could worship God or have anything to do with him. And she says, no, she says, the, the big book on page 46 says that as long as you have the willingness to express a belief in a power greater than yourself, and this power will commence to get results in your life. And, um, you know, and you don't have to fully define or comprehend God before you start to do this process. And I said, okay, fine. Um, what, what do I have to do? And she says, well, I said, what has worked for you so far? And what have you seen in program so far that has worked for you? And I said, well, I said results. I, I, like, I like the idea of results. So she says, we'll start off with that simple concept. And eventually, as you go through the rest of the steps, that concept will grow as you grow in the steps. And I said, I can deal with that. I can start off with the God of results because I want those results. I'm looking for those results. And it was as simple as that. I started to grow and commence. As soon as I had that willingness, I commenced on my spiritual growth. And I accepted this concept, and, and that, that was as simple as the concept could be. And then I started to look at all the things that I had to lay aside and all the prejudices that I had to lay aside, and she helped me with that. And then as soon as I was able to come up with a small conception of what that power looked like, then I was ready for step three. And step three was about looking at where I had been completely into self and um and that i even when i believed in god even when i asked god um to do something for me i was still the orchestrator of my demise um because i kept holding on to old ideas and not letting uh letting go absolutely of them and um, and one of the ideas that I, I I thought of was I'm in charge of my recovery. Whatever God can't take care of, I'm going to take care of, and I'm gonna, still going to run the show. And if people you know tend to get in my way, I'm just going to push them aside and you know and kind of like still run the show myself and and claim that I I have this beginning with God. And um, and this was a great step for me because. It says, being convinced, we were at step three, and what am I being convinced of? That I need to make a decision. And the decision is, I'm either still going to go towards the food or, I'm, or, or towards the self, because that, that's what leads me to the food, or I'm going to accept spiritual help and go towards this, this higher power. And that was the decision that I had to make. And two things that I was told on this step that I had to um, two requirements that I had to look at was first, the first requirement is that I be convinced that any life run on self-will could hardly be a success on the basis that we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even our motives, our good motives. So in this step, I had to look at the, the, 
the different uh, facets of how I try to orchestrate life, how I try to arrange the life, the ballast, the scenery, the players. I wanted to be the actor that was the director. And you can't be both. You either are going to be the actor who follows directions or you're going to be the director that gives the directions. And um, in this step, I looked very, it was very hard to look at myself and look at where I had been orchestrating my own life and still at this step was still orchestrating things my own self and not trusting and relying on a power greater than myself. And so um, the second requirement was that I had to quit playing God and that I was going to let this power greater than myself kind of like run the show and, and look at the promises because there are promises here Look at the promises if they were coming true when I submitted myself to the God of results, which that was at the time the God that I chose to have. And so when I made that decision that I was going to quit playing God, that my life, um, and if I had any doubts, all I had to do was go back to my first step history and look at how my life had become unmanageable, how, how I had run the show and how I had uh, broken relationships, and I had all these um, different be- bedevilments, right? So if we um, if we look at the uh, bedevilments, it's about broken relationships. Um, here on, on page 52, it says, we had to ask ourselves, why should we apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view? We we're having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression, and we couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy, and we couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was that not the basic solution of our bedevilments? And that's exactly what I had to admit that, yeah, my life, anytime I try to run the show, I mess things up. <laughs> and that, that was as simple as that. And And here on step three, I was making a verbal commitment, a verbal contract with God that I was going to let God run the show and that I was going to quit playing God and that I was willing to try it God's way. And and that's when I took step three and my sponsor had me to go to my home group and um, as an act of humility, as the 100 men and women did it in the beginning. They knelt before their creator and took the step before their group, and that's what I did. I went before my group and I knelt before my group and I took this um, this step. And of course, I just want to remind everyone that everybody can take the step differently. Um, you know, you don't have to kneel, but some sort of humility would be nice because it shows that you are submitting to God. So for one of the things my sponsor told me at this point, she says, you know, for Jewish people, they may sway because that's their tradition. For Muslims, they may prostrate themselves uh, before a mat. Um, For Buddhist people, they may take a yoga position. So it could be different for everybody. But for because of my background, I chose to kneel and um, and voice this without any reservations. And so I was ready now to embark on and launch out on this vigorous action work uh, because that's what I was committing myself to to go through the rest of the process to go through 4 through 12 and 
that meant that I had to do personal house cleaning and do a lot of fact-finding, a lot of fact-facing. And I had to look at my resentments. I had to look at my fears. And I had to look at my sex conduct, which was an overhauling matter because it was <laughs> a lot of stuff that I had that I was resentful at. And, um, and, and the big book is very, very clear how to do the steps. And it tells you where the columns are. And so on page 64, it gives you the first column. It says we list the people, uh, institutions, principles whom we were angry and we set them on paper. Column two, we ask, um, so, so that's the resentment, right? And so column two is we ask ourselves why we were angry. That's the cause. And in column three, it says in most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, and our personal relations, including sex, were hurt and threatened. So we were sore and we were burned up. And so that's column three. It affects mine. And as you can see in the columns, you go down the roads, you put down all the resentments of people, places, and institutions, um, or principles, the cause, why you were angry, and the effects, how it affected my, my instincts. And then I, I did this same process for the, the fears, and I did the same process for the sex conduct. Um, just follow the same directions that are found there. And then the fourth column, uh, it says, referring on page 67, referring to our list again, putting our, out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Where, where have we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though the situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventories was ours, not the other man's. And... Um, and this was taking responsibility for my part. And even though um, a lot of times I didn't have a big part in it, um, I was always to look for my small part, my two cents in it. And, um, and that's one of the things, um, you know, I said, well, you know, uh, I had all this abuse and I didn't, I didn't play a part in it. And I, you know, and I'm totally innocent. Anybody that's ever been abused, you have you absolutely have no part in that, uh, in being abused. But the part that I did have to play in it was that I was holding on to those resentments and I was playing the victim in every area of my life. And so I had to look at that and I had to, um, when I went through the process with my sponsor, I had to go through that process and look at even the parts that I didn't want to look at. You know, even the parts that, I, even if I had one or two cents in it, I had to look at that part and I had to take responsibility for it. And that's what I did. I did that in um, step four and I did that with my resentments, my fears, and my sex conduct. And, you know, one of the things, this process does not take that long um, uh, to go through. It takes a couple of weeks. And for me, it took me a little longer because um, because of my disorder. My sponsor had to go through each and every part that I had um, uh, to clean out a lot of that stuff. So a lot of times she had to um, be like a mediator for me as far as um, conveying, conveying some of these parts and their sentiments and their feelings and, and what they had gone through. And by putting all that together, I was able to go through this process in a very, very thorough way. And I feel like I, I, when I got to the fifth step, 
I was able to disclose everything, all of my life. It says on page 73 that um, uh, they only thought they, they had lost their ego, egoism and fear, and they thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough humility, fearlessness, honesty, in a sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all, all their life stories. So I couldn't leave anything out. Even though I had memory issues, I could not leave anything out. And so it was a tedious process, but I, I thank God that um, he gave me the way to do this. And it says um, on the bottom uh, of that same page, it says, these memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him as fast as he can, pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension that makes for more drinking. And I knew that if I did not disclose every inch, every part of my story and was honest, brutally honest about what was going on with me, I knew that that would lead me to back to compulsive overeating because I knew that my mental obsession was always looking for that excuse, always looking for that alibi to bring me back to the food. And once I pick up the food, I know that once I pick up my binge foods, I am off to the races. I can't seem to stop once I start. So I knew that this was a life-saving work, that I had to be totally honest, that I had to look at this, that I had to look for a confident person. And I felt that um, prior to me getting the sponsor that I did, I had prayed for her six months prior. And I was uh, the only time that I, I felt like uh, – uh, God, it was Santa Claus to me, um, and, and I'm glad. Um, I was very specific in my prayers. I said I want a sponsor that, that's a big, big teacher, someone that could help me with my disorder, someone that can um, help me with my compulsive overeating, someone that, um, you know, I said I, I even prayed uh, for my sponsor not to be um, someone from my faith. I said I want someone that's not from my faith because I – don't feel like I want to be judged. And, and, and that was all faulty thinking, but of course, that's what I prayed for. So my sponsor, um, the sponsor that I have today, does not have the same faith that I do, but, but um, she has the recovery that I want and, and, and that I have today. And, and thank God for that, that he found it in his infinite wisdom and insight to bring that person into my life where I could disclose everything to her um, page 75, it says we pocket our pride, and that's what I had to do. I had to pocket my pride, illuminating every twisted character, every dark cranny of the past. And once we've taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. And that was, that was a promise that came true for me because after going through this, I, I, reviewed, I, I did the review that speaks about here, that after we've taken this step, we review the five uh, proposals, the five steps, and uh, notice that we haven't omitted anything and left anything out, and that's what I did. I, I, I was completely satisfied that I had taken the step thoroughly, and so I went to step six. And step six here, I was asked to, um, to see what was objectionable 
and all the character defects that I had talked about, was I ready now to let God remove all of these things that were objectionable to me? And if I was still holding on to something, then I needed to pray about it and I needed to let go of it and um, ask God to be willing to, to let go of that. And so at this point in time, I was so ready. I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired that I was ready. And I said, yes, I'm ready to let go of my selfishness, my dishonesty, my self-seeking, my fear, my inconsideration, and anything else and everything else that came along with that. And so at this point, uh, my sponsor had me do this seven-step prayer. And we went over this seven-step prayer that I need to, needed to acknowledge and understand that when I was praying this, it's not asking God now to take away my character defects and the ones that I want him to take away, but it was for him to do his job, and, and um, I didn't have to tell God how to do his job. It's whenever he wanted, however he wanted, as best as he could, um, and, and uh, what, whenever he decided to take these character defects, that's how it was going to happen. The only thing that I was asking is to be of service to him and my fellows and to have strength to go through the rest of the process. And so that led me, once I did that step, I was ready for step eight. And um, step eight, it says, we have listed, uh, and this is on page 76, um, six, seven, and eight, step six, seven, and eight. And step eight uh, and nine, sorry, and nine. Um, and so steps eight and nine, um, step eight is here on 76 in this paragraph, and then steps nine goes from 76 all the way to page, uh, what is it? Oh, my God. Um, page 88. So um, here it says, we have, a, uh, we have a list of all the persons we have harmed to whom we are, really, we are willing to make amends. And we made it when we took inventory. So I already have the list, and that, that is my four-step inventory. That means all my resentments, all my fears, and all my sex conduct. And I'm going to look at the people there that I need to go and make an amends now. And it says, now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the decrees which accumulated out of our efforts to live on self-will run riot. Um, and, and run the show ourselves. And so, um, and if we haven't the will to do this, we ask again until it comes. And, and we're, we're going to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And so that's what I had to do. I had to put down all the people there that, that I had harmed. And, and um, for me, it was my whole four-step inventory <laughs> that I had to make an amends to. And anyone else that I might have left out or something new that might have came up that I might have missed, I would put that person also on that list. And so I was ready to go and make amends. But before I went and made um, the amends, I had to go through my nine-step inventory, which I went thoroughly with my sponsor, which we don't have the, the, the time to go through this. But I will condense it into five points um, that my sponsor had me doing, um, which was... I had to do, um, and of course, you know, if, if you go through the big book, it, it has all of these. I just don't have the time to point out where where all these uh, specific points are, but they are there in the big book. 
So the, the first point was the specific statement of offending behavior, which uh, meant that I was going to say exactly what I did to this person and not just generalize it. Um, one of the things that my sponsor gave me as an example is like, let's say I have a problem with a person in kindergarten and I say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, so, uh, I'm sorry that I, I shoved you to the ground. Um, well, that's not, um, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, uh, that's not it. Um, I'm sorry that, uh, that uh, I did something mean to you when we were kids. Well, that's not really being specific. Um, but if I say, well, I'm sorry that I shoved you uh, to the ground, then that's being specific. I'm, I'm, I'm stating the specific offending behavior. Then the other thing is I want to acknowledge that I am sorry um, because if, if someone gets hurt and I say, well, I hurt you, but I don't say I'm sorry admitting that I did cause you some harm, uh, you know, that's not going to fit the bill. Um, that's second point that I, I, have to, I have to acknowledge that I hurt someone. And then the third point is taking responsibility for uh, the way I hurt that person. And, you know, and that's where I can say I was selfish, I was dishonest, and then, and then point out where I was selfish. You know, I was selfish because I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. And I, I was dishonest because I didn't tell you the truth or I admitted the truth about something. I was self-seeking because I wanted my way or I wanted to get to that that monkey bar and so I, I pushed you out of the way to get to the monkey bars and and so um you know that's admitting the re- taking responsibility for being self-seeking taking the responsibility for being fearful you know well I was fearful you know and that's why I pushed you out of the way because I was afraid that I wasn't going to have enough playtime. um and then uh, you know I was inconsiderate towards you because I caused you harm and so the fourth point is the regret, um, the admission of regret. And, and so I regret those behaviors. I regret the way I treated you. And, and not just saying it, but really meaning it, really feeling it. And um, it's, it's different from I'm sorry where you're acknowledging a harm. Um, regret is you're expressing it with emotion and feeling. And then the last one is, um, point number five is um, making sure that I don't repeat the, the offending behavior and, and um, making a commitment not to repeat that behavior. And so when I did my, um, you know, it's just, it's just making sure that um, with the help of God, that I am not going to repeat that behavior, and 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 that leads me into step ten because the way I'm not going to repeat those behaviors is doing my inventory over and over and over again, <laughs> and that's four through nine, and that's step ten. So this thought brings us to step ten, which suggests that we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right the wrongs, the mistakes that we have, and um, and and um we rigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So I've already cleaned up the past, so anything new that comes up, I'm going to continue to clean it up. And it says continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And when these crop up, we ask God to remove them. 
We discuss them with someone else immediately, make amends quickly if we have harmed someone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone else we can help. Love and tolerance is our code. And, and that's what I had to do. I had to continue to look. And this is a, a process that I do every day. Um, I do it uh, most times with my sponsor. If my sponsor is not available, I still do it. I still do it with someone else. Or, um, or I take notes. And then when I get ready with my sponsor, uh, I, I turn it over to my sponsor. And, and I, I mostly like doing it with my sponsor because she's been through the process with me. And she knows my story. And she knows when I'm trying to get over and when I'm not trying to get over. But it doesn't mean that I can't, I can't do this if she's not available. Um, I, I continue to turn it over to God. I continue to look for these things and I continue to change behavior. And that's all step 10 is, is change behavior, change my perception, change my attitude. And I ask God in all of these steps, because uh, I, I forgot to mention that there's, there's prayers in all of these steps, four through nine, um, four through um, 12, there's, there's prayers that you can be doing. And so um, I continue to, to pray for, to God for these things. And, and the blessing is that at this point in time, I cease finding anything or anyone, even alcohol on my binge foods. My sanity has returned. Um, I would seldom be interested in liquor or anything like that. I have a neutrality. I'm safe and secure and protected. And the problem has been removed. And that's the great blessing of going through this process. But it doesn't stop there. Um, I have to do a little more, and that's called maintenance. And, and my maintenance starts with step 10, but I also have to do step 11. And in step 11, I do prayer and meditation. I continue to do my prayer and meditation. I continue to improve my conscious contact with God. I continue to re, uh, review things with God um, upon awakening and as well as at nighttime. Um, I continue to look for these things that affect my relationship with God. I continue to ask for God's direction um, in my thinking to be divorced from things that block me from God. Um, when faced with indecision, I can ask for intuitive, intuitiveness. I, I can also relax and take it easy through doing meditation or uh, pondering on what I've already uh, learned, which um, it says when I retire at night, I can look at those things and and look at, at the things that um, I need to be looking at and, and reviewing. Do I owe anybody an apology? Uh, have I been unkind to someone? What could I do better? What can I continue to do better? And that's how I do my step 11. Um, again, uh, the, the final one is that I go out now and do service because it ensures immunity to do intensive work with others. And this can help where... Uh, nothing else can. And um, I can help people to secure the confidence where other things fail. And there's a whole chapter on, on um, chapter 12 of how to sponsor. And I always say, um, you know, one of the things my sponsor told me is go through the whole steps before you start to sponsor. Because if you start sponsoring at step 10 or you start sponsoring at step 9, you haven't gone through the whole process. And, and she says, most of the questions, most of the difficulties that you're going to face, the big book will already answer in the step uh, before you take somebody on. 
And as a new uh, recovered person, I, I know I had difficulties sponsoring people, and, and my sponsor continued to be with me, continued to help me, continued to guide me through the step, um, continued to help me to uh, learn what it is to sponsor um, new people and go through the many um, questions that they might have or how to sponsor them and how to take responsibility for this. And, and that was a blessing because I'm glad that I waited. I'm glad that I listened. I'm glad that I went through my 12 step. I, I learned a lot of how to sponsor before I even took anyone on um, the difficulties or the questions that would arise from that. And um, it helped me to even work on some of my own things that I had to work on. And, you know, uh, if I had to let go of codependency, I, I had, uh, that was a great opportunity to do that. Um, and my job was only to carry the message, um, not to carry the compulsive overeater. And I want to emphasize that because a lot of times when we sponsor, we take on people's problems or we take on people's um, uh, stuff, and we don't need to. Um, the big book is very clear about that. You know, our dependence is on God, uh, as as it says on page 98, and not on other dependence on people. And I had to be true to myself for that. And those people that I sponsor, I always direct them back to the source of power that they need to be connecting with, and that is their own higher power. And so as I go through this step, um, I am reminded every day that I need to burn into the consciousness of every man that he can't, he can get well, he can't, um, he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts God and clean house. And uh, I, I'm going to close up with what we normally close up with is the promises that, um, that we have here on page 164. It says, our book is meant to be suggestive only. And it is suggestive, but it becomes a must when we have to apply it. <laughs> and it says, we realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. And he has, in my case, I have been totally transformed into a way of living that I've never, ever thought imaginable for me in my lifetime, that I could be free of the food, that I could be free of my resentments, that I could be free of just um, the unmanageability in my life. And I ask him in my morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. I pray for those that are sick. I pray for my family. I pray for those who have harmed me. I pray for those that I have harmed, and I pray for all those people that are still um, out there that have not gotten recovered. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. And that was really important for me to understand that I first have to get all these 12 steps before I can transmit this message. And one of my friends always says, you cannot teach what you don't know. You cannot lead where you don't go. You cannot be what you ain't not, what you're not. You cannot give what you ain't got. And um, I, that always reminds me that I need to be, um, I need to be getting this myself and getting it to the, to the point where the big book says that I need to do it exactly, precisely how it's outlined here so that I can get exactly what these people have. 
and it says, see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. And, um, and it's true because today I can transmit this to other women, other people, and um, I've been blessed to see them grow along these lines. And, and, and that brings me into a, a beautiful fellowship with them and something that I didn't have before. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God, admit your faults to him and to your fellows, uh, clear away the wreckage of your past through freely of what you find and join us. And we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you unto then. And thank you, God, for all that you have done for me and the recovery where I have been reborn through my process of the 12-step program. That I pass. Thank you very much, Du, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us this morning. Thank you for describing your process of recovery through these 12 steps. We really appreciate your service this morning. Du's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. And now we're going to open the floor for any questions you might have for Du. You can press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, and then please questions only so we make the greatest use of our time here. Hi, Anne-Marie. Hi, Anne-Marie. Hold on one second. Anyone else? Yes, my name's Susan. Hi, Susan. One moment. Anyone else? Questions for do? Janice. M. Janice. Janice M. Okay, let's start with Anne-Marie. Go ahead, Anne-Marie. Hey, thank you very much. Um, This is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina. Thank you, Ju, so much. So concise and simple, like I believe the big book wanted us to um, go through these steps. Thank you. Um, Would you mind repeating those five points of step nine, please? Sure. Um, The first one is the specific offending behavior. Admission of fault, uh, assumption of responsibility is three, four is admission of regret, and five, commitment not to repeat that behavior. Thank you. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Susan, your turn. Great, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your, your story. And my question is, in in the group of Vision for You, how does one go about getting a sponsor? Like, is there a sponsor list somewhere on the website, or how how um, yeah, how do you find a, a, a sponsor who's been through Vision for You? Do you want to answer that, uh, Leah? Because I know you have a list for that. Yes. Hi, Susan. Um, good morning. <laughs> Uh, First of all, I just want to say that a vision for you, uh, we stand in harmony on the solution that's given in the big book. So there's no specific uh, vision for you sponsor. It's just that we are all 
um, standing in harmony on the solution through the 12 steps that are offered in the big book. That's the first thing I want to say. Uh, we do have a member contact list, and I'll give the website again at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. Also, if you can join us during the week um, around 8 a.m. after the first hour, which is a recorded uh, hour meeting, um, we do have an opportunity um, actually at 9 o'clock, we have an opportunity where uh, sponsors voice their um, availability. And so you have an opportunity there to write down numbers of, of uh, available sponsors as well as giving your number that you're in need of one. So stay tuned. I'll give more uh, directions regarding that at the conclusion of this recording. We'll make use of our question and answer period. Thanks so much, Susan. And Janice M., your turn, please. You had a question for one to unmute. Yeah, Alea, it was not Adia. It wasn't Janice M., it was somebody else. Hi, this is Janice, sorry. <laughs> your name, please? This is Janice M. Okay, yes. Sorry. Go ahead. I thought Janice. I was unmuted. Anyway, um, do I just had a question. First of all, thanks, everybody. Um, so I've been been recovered for a few years, and I've sponsored people who need outside help, um, professional help. And I apologize if you mentioned it, but I got interrupted as I was listening in. Um, did you have professional help supporting you while you were going through the steps and working with your sponsor? Uh, yes, that, that that is an outside issue. Um, but yes, I, I did get some outside help, but that's not what helped me to recover. Um, I I have to say that the power of God is what helped me to recover. And these 12 steps is what helped me to recover. So even though I had um, outside issues um, that were affecting my recovery, and, and yes, I, I recommend that if you need to go to a doctor or a nutritionist or, you know, that's why those professionals are there. And the big book makes that very clear that if you need outside help, that you should go and get those outside helps. But for me, my experience with my recovery had nothing to do with um, outside help. It had everything to do with the 12 steps of, of the program because I learned that my help really came from God, and, and, and he showed me different avenues of how to attain the help that I needed. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, thank you so much. That's wonderful. Thank you, Janice M. from Pennsylvania. Thank you. Who else has a question for do this morning? Star one to unmute. Jason. Hi, Jason. One moment. Anyone else? Maria. Marianne. Who else? Tara. Tara. Okay, let's go with those three. Jason, you're up. Thank you very much for your presentation. I thought it was really tremendous. Um, you spent a lot of time in the first three steps, and I guess I was curious as you were describing step one, how much time did you spend 
where you were just abstinent, but before you had really started um, working the steps where you were getting some relief, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe step four, let's say. I mean, how much time were you just in step one really digging into your understanding of the the sort of two-part disease? Um, but your description, it sounded like a lot of time, but I, I just wasn't sure because I'm I've had some recovery and then I've, I've been in relapse for about a year and I'm finding it difficult. If I have a little period of time, I, I, I'm finding it hard to maintain it. Um, and so I'm curious about the duration of time that you had to have an abstinence before you moved on to the other steps. That's a great question. Um, I, I got to say, prior to me understanding the big book process, uh, it took me forever. It took me years because <laughs> I would get abstinent and I would relapse. I would get abstinent and I would relapse. Um, however, when I got together with my sponsor who took me through this process of the 12 steps, it didn't take that long. It actually took a day. Okay. So for some people, it may take a day, it may take three days, it may take a week, but it shouldn't go any longer than that um, to get abstinent because once you've identified your binge foods um, and you uh, make that decision to put your binge foods down, uh, then you go through your detox period, which is, you know, those, those, those chemicals are leaving your system. And usually that takes about three days um, to go through um, uh, a thorough detox would be about three weeks. But as, as I was, um, at, when I put my food down, when I put the binge foods down, I went immediately into the big book. I did not wait. My sponsor had me going through the doctor's opinion as I was going through this process of, of, um, of um, having those foods down because she knew that the mental obsession would kick up right away. And so, um, you know, that was really important for me to do um, as I, and I was also taking my first step history as I was, I was going through the doctor's opinion. So I was very, very busy writing <laughs> a lot uh, on my first step history. So that's how I was able to do that. But it should not take that long. If once you're ready and you're willing to do this, it, it should take a matter of like not not even a day, not even an hour, not even ten minutes. It's it's making that decision to to have that desire to stop. And if you have that desire to stop, that's what makes the difference. If you don't have the desire to stop, it doesn't matter how many times you put down the food, you will always pick it up. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Janice. I'm sorry. Thank you, Jason, for that question. Thanks so much. Marianne, your turn. Star one to unmute, Marianne. Hi. Uh, actually, it's uh, Maria. Uh, Maria E. Maria. Um, Maria. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your story. Um, very enlightening. Um, I'm also, you know, even though I don't like labels, but yeah, double winner. And uh, I'm 
wondering, uh, do you identify yourself like mainly as an alcoholic or mainly as a compulsive overeater? And I have always said I have one bottom line. No matter what, I won't pick up a drink. And, of course, I keep picking up the food and putting it down and pick it up and put it down. So I don't know if maybe the identification might help because <laughs> uh, I'm still playing with it. Um, thank you. I'm sorry. I, I don't think I understood your question. Do you identify yourself mainly as an alcoholic or as a compulsive overeater? Well, I identify myself as a compulsive overeater because I am obviously an OA. <laughs> So I would identify myself as a compulsive overeater. Um, when I am in my other program, I will identify myself as an alcoholic. However, um, because uh, uh, I've learned that um, part of the alcohol was part of my binge foods, um, now I just um, mostly do OA. Um, I do some of AA, but I, I do mostly OA, and, and that's what I identify myself as, as, as a compulsive overeater. Um, and I, I address that one substance as part of my compulsive overeating, if, if that makes sense. Because um, that, you know, alcohol has a lot of sugar in it, and, and that is one of my binge foods. And so I, I translate it to that. So that's primarily what I do now. Thank you. Thanks, Maria. Tara, your turn. If I caught that name correctly. Thank you. Thanks, Leah. Yes. Um, thanks, Stu, for, for sharing what you've shared. It's so helpful. Um, I have a kind of a two-part question. Um, first of all, how involved are you with your um, sponsees as far as like being there for every question they have about sponsoring other, you know, sponsoring, um, you know, other compulsive eaters? And uh, if you had taken them through the steps in a couple of weeks and then, you know, spent some time you know, telling them, <clears throat> going over with them the basic principles of taking someone through in a couple of weeks. Um, and you're there all the time with them, you know, if they have questions <clears throat> by text or whatever, would would you be able to, in some cases, let someone um, start sponsoring pretty quickly, say within three weeks or so of, of starting the steps, three weeks or four. Thanks, that's it. Well, um, I I don't make the decision uh, when uh, a sponsee um, sponsors. Uh, if they have gone through the entire steps, uh, one through 12, and they feel they're ready to sponsor, then they, I support them in that decision. Um, if, if it takes them three weeks to recover and go through the whole process, then they're considered recovered. Um, and they would 
commence to pass this to someone else. If they go through it in two weeks and that's what it takes and they feel they have recovered and they've gone through the steps, uh, for some people it can take a day. It can take a day to go through the whole steps and recover and, and, and start sponsoring people. And my job is not um, to tell them what to do. My job is to support them in their recovery. My job is to guide them uh, through the steps and to uh, support them in their recovery. And as they go out to um, sponsor other people and they may be new at this and may, may be unsure of what they're doing, uh, they'll come back to me and they'll ask me questions and we'll go through the big book and we'll address those issues with the big book and they'll bring it back to their sponsee. And so I know that's what my sponsor does with me and I appreciate her invaluable service um, in helping me to help other women. And, um, you know, and I continue with that process. Um, for, for the most part, when I sponsor, um, I do take uh, people through the steps very quickly. Um, uh, prior to my relapse last year, um, I was doing this work for two years, close to two years, and I had sponsored a lot of women who have recovered and, and been recovered since. And, um, you know, and it's, it's a blessing to see them uh, continue on that process. And for some of them, it didn't take that long. It, it did not take that long. For others, depending on their situation, uh, maybe some people have learning disabilities or maybe they'll have um, other uh, problems or health issues that need to be addressed. Maybe for them, it'll take a couple of more months longer. Uh, relatively short time, I would say. Hope that answers your question. Thank you, Tara. Who else has a question for do this morning? Thank you so much for the um Thanks, Tara. Anyone else with a the, question this morning? This is Mary Ellen. Hi, Mary Ellen. One moment. Hi. One moment. Let me just mm-hmm. see if anybody else. Who else has a question for do? If it's on your mind, I bet. I just bet that it's on other people's minds as well. Deborah R. Deborah R. Anyone uh, else? Jane, Jane B., please. Jane B., anyone else? Okay, Mary Ellen, go ahead. Thanks. This is Mary Ellen B. in Florida. Um, regarding sponsorship, and, and thank you very much for sharing your story and your experience. Regarding sponsorship, um, you know, something my sponsor taught me is that, um, you know, right off the bat she told me, you know, I'm not the, you know, the end all and the be all and I'm not a God and I, I, I may not always be here for you. And, um, you know, she suggested strongly and I really appreciated um, because I've had this experience where, if I need to contact her and I have questions or I'm struggling with something either as a sponsee or as a sponsor, you know, and teaching somebody else and taking somebody else through the steps as a guide, it's important for me to have a network of people, you know, not to uh, depend on her or to have my sponsees feel like they need to depend on me. And I'm just wondering how you feel about that. Thank you. 
Well, I, I think you um, answer your own question, <laughs> you know, and that's having the network of people. And um, one of the things that from the very, very beginning, my sponsor said you have to have a network of recovered people. And, um, and that's different from just going to anyone. Um, and I had to learn that in the very beginning of my recovery that when I was going to get um, questions answered or um, go, go through that process, I had to go to the people who had recovered. Because um, if I went to people that were in the same boat as I was, I was not going to get the answers that I was looking for. If anything, uh, if I went to people that were not recovered, I would probably go right back to the food because um, that's where they were at, in the food. So um, if I want something better, I'm going to go towards people who have real answers. And I'm going to go to people that I admire their recovery, that know this book, and that could take me through the book because it's not about what anybody can say or what anybody can do. It's about what this experience shows. And, and this experience is written beautifully, masterfully in this book. And all I have to do is anytime when in doubt, I can go to um, someone that knows this book um, and I should, I should, by this point in time, if I'm at step 12, I should have a big, large network of people that I can go to <laughs> other than my sponsor. Um, you know, I, I find that in my meetings. I find that in, in, in this line. I find that, you know, in other places. But I should have those people in my life where they could easily take me through this book and point to me, you know, where to find those answers. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary Ellen. Deborah R. Hi, this is Deborah R. And thank you, Du, for your service and um, wonderful sharing this morning. Um, I honestly have been trying to compose this, so I did ask it succinctly. And the short is that I... Perhaps you've worked with someone and might be able to enlighten me for some ideas. I chose to work with someone who I've talked to on and off for a year. I know she's challenging in her sense of she may not be ready. Um, That became obvious in our conversations this week. And is there, um, it's my boundaries I've really taken it to look at a 10th step on myself that she's taught me that um, certain things still trigger me when they're, someone may not um, want to go along with the book um, or what I'm trying to share has worked for me and how to best let that go. I have used my network. And um, but I'm aware I'm a human, and I feel like I should have been able to help her, but it might not have been my God's job that I be the one that helps her um, understand. So with challenging people, any tips or experience of wisdom? Thank you. 
sure um i've come across that many many times and um you know i i'm going to tell you what my sponsor tells me and everybody else in program tells me go to page 96 <laughs> okay because the big book is very very clear it says uh do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once search out another alcoholic try again uh, you are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you have to offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny someone else or some other alcoholic, an opportunity to live, ha live and be happy. And one of our fellowships failed entirely with the first half dozen prospect. He often says that if he had continued to work with them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. And so this is not about getting results because God is the one who deals with the results. We only carry the message. And one of the things I've heard in program is some will, some won't. So what? You keep it moving on. Because my job is to plant. My job is to water. My job is to nurture. But it is God who takes care of the results. And so this is very, very specific. It says, you know, if someone's not responding to the message, and they're not ready to do the work, and they're still in the food, and they seem not to um, want to let go of their foods, and you keep taking them back to step one. Um, you know, it's different. I, I want to differentiate something here. Um, it's not saying I'm going to fire you because you're still in the food and you just don't want to give up the food. You know, that's not what I'm saying here. There are some people that really struggle with giving up the food. And if you see improvement over time uh, as they're trying and maybe they go back to the food after a while of working with them and they, they really are making those efforts to, to apply the program um, and you can discern that they're really making a heartfelt effort, you know, to try. That's someone that I would continue to work with and I would continue to bring them back to step one bring back to the steps and, and helping them to clear out whatever needs to be clear out. Maybe there's something there that they're not sure about or they don't uh, fully understand. So I would, I would help them to do that. But someone that says, well, I am definite that I am not going to give that up. Even though it's one of my binge foods, I am not going to give that up. Well, you know what? Uh, I can't sponsor you if you're still in the food. So maybe I can't help you, maybe someone else can, you know, and that's, and normally uh, that's their scapegoat, that's their way out of just saying, you know, I, I just don't want this and I'll, I'll go somewhere else. Um, or someone that comes up to me and says, um, I want to be sponsored this way. So um, I want to be in the food, but you can take me through the 12 steps. And I've come across that also. And I say, well, I, I'm, I don't know what program you're working, but that's not the program that I work. So if you want to work that program, you can go and, and find out where that program is. But I work the 12 steps. And 12 steps clearly states that it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he's approached with the spiritual solution. 
So um, if you want what I have, then, and you're willing to do anything to get it, and you're willing to work with me and, and have what I have to offer, then I can work with you. But, but that would be a resounding no. I would not take on a person that is not willing to put down their food, um, you know, it, because they're saying they don't want to. And, and you have to discern what they're saying. It's, it, are they saying they want to do this? Are they willing to do this? Are, are they willing to stop? Or do they have the desire to stop? Or are they still in their food and they are not wanting to stop, but they want to still hang around? And, and they can hang around all they want. I, I just can't, I can't waste somebody else's opportunity to get this program or you know the opportunity to recover um, by spending too much time with someone that doesn't want this. And so, you know, they have the option to experiment and try out their binge foods and, you know, and when they're good and ready, they, they will come willingly and they will do what needs to be done to recover. Hope that answers that. Thank you, Deborah R. And Jane B., your turn. Thank you. Uh, this is Jane B. from Florida. And I thank you so much, uh, Jude, for your service. It was wonderful, clear message of the steps. And um, I think it's a little bit similar to the question that just was asked, but it was more specifically I wanted to ask, um, how do you determine before you begin working or maybe as the first maybe session or two, if a person is ready to, to surrender to the steps, um, I know actions speak louder than words. Well, you know, if they keep picking up, that means what they're saying and they're doing are two different things, you know. But for myself, I gave it two really concerted efforts the first two times to get to the fourth step in the vision for you. And I had picked up until the third time when I said, I've had enough. I'm not going to... Um, screw around with this and I'm not going to make my sponsor my higher power and I'm just going to do whatever I'm supposed to do. I didn't know that the third time would work, but how do you determine and is it necessarily something you do on the first meeting or two or is that something as you start to work with them? Well, it could be both, um, uh, but mostly I... My sponsor has taught me to be a very good listener and to uh, gauge that way before you even begin to, to um, uh, work with someone. Uh, you want to listen to what they're saying, um, what their actions are showing. Um, for instance, I'll give you one sponsee that I had and I started to work with her and I the first thing I do is we're going to identify your binge foods and, you know, uh, so that you can put those binge foods down and, and so you can start, start the program there, right? Um, and one of the things that um, I remember one sponsee, she listed four items of binge foods. Now, if you're a compulsive overeater, I know there's a lot more than just four items. <laughs> and so... She was, she was insistent that those were the only four items that she binged on. And, um, and I knew, I, I kind of like knew that she was not ready. 
um, that was an indicator that she was not willing to do the work. And, um, and so I said, well, I said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to pass. I, I can't sponsor you. And I said, uh, when you're willing and you're ready to list down all your binge foods and you're ready to do the work, then you could call me back. And um, three or four weeks later, she called me back up. And instead of having four items on her bench list, she had seven pages. And I said, okay, now we can work. And that was an indicator. Um, it didn't mean that she had to have seven pages, but I'm just saying that I knew as a compulsive overeater, we just don't have one or two items of binge foods. Um, it could be, you know, it's, it's a lot. Um, and that's been my experience. So uh, other, other areas where um, uh, there are indicators is I give them an assignment uh, to do and they'll procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate and not get the work done or they'll have excuses or they won't call when, when they're assigned to call. Um, so that, that's already an indicator that someone that doesn't want to work with you. So that's someone that I would not work with. Um, so there are different indicators as you're talking to them and working with them uh, that will demonstrate whether they're ready or not. And uh, someone that's ready, um, they, will, they will do everything uh, possible to meet up with those requirements, you know, have, have their step work ready, be on time for, for their step work. They're eager to put down the food. They're eager to follow directions. They're, they're just eager. Um, I, uh, my experience has also been that as I start working with some people, they may be eager at first and then they slow down and they don't want to do the work or I work with them until they get to step nine and they go into this rotating cycle where they don't want to make the amends. So they'll have a relapse. They'll go back into the food. I'll take them through the steps again. They'll do it again. And after the second and third time, then I have to have a serious conversation with them about, about whether they really want this. Because um, then at that point, I put the responsibility on them and I tell them, you know, do you really want this? Because if you don't want this, this is hurting someone else that may want this. And at that point in time, that, that person will probably, most likely will tell me they do not want to work with me. So I don't try to fire people, but I do give them the option to be honest and, um, and do the work. And if they don't want to do the work, normally they're just gonna, they're just gonna leave. They're not gonna call back or they're not, I mean, there's some people that they say, I want, I want to be sponsored and I, and they'll call you and they're begging you to sponsor them. And uh, as soon as you start talking about the big book, um, next thing you know, you don't hear from them again. So that's another way. That's another indicator. <laughs> that's obvious. <laughs> and so, um, so yes, in the beginning, I, I do try to determine that because if I am going to invest this time on someone, uh, I want to make sure that it's productive and that someone that's willing and ready to do the work and, and that really wants it because there's so many people's lives at stake out there. Um, that really, really want to do this and they don't get the opportunity because someone else is taking up that time. So um, I take that very serious. And so, yes, I try to determine that in the beginning. Thank you, Jane. 
the Thank you. question. All right, last call for questions. Anyone else out there who has a question for due, speak up now, please. Kim M.C. in Texas. Kim M.C., is that correct? That's correct. Okay, anyone else? Yes, this is Sherry from Massachusetts. Sherry. And one more invitation. It's Michael uh, from New York. Michael. Hello? Yes. Kim, Uh Sherry, Michael, anyone else? Hi, can you hear me? Your name? Linda from Boston. Linda. Okay. All right. Let's start with Kim, please. Thank you very much um, for your service, um, Leah and Du. Um, My question is about Step 10. And um, I consider myself more of a step guide than a sponsor. And you mentioned in your share that, um, you know, about having a network, but that you go to your sponsor most of the time for um, step two because she knows your history. And I find for myself that I tend to go to two or three people who know me, um, you know, or sometimes I'm leaving out that step five portion of the step 10 because I get relief when I ask God to remove the selfishness or dishonesty or whatever it is that I'm experiencing and resolutely turn my thoughts and nobody has been harmed. So my question is this, um, do you find that realistically, I mean, you know, that there is a tendency to go to the same people, um, because they intimately, you can have a broad network, but find that, I mean, I have found that it's just I have two or three people that know me, and I can text, can you take a step 10, you know. So I guess I just wanted to know, you know, realistically or practically, how do you apply your step 10? Um, I just wanted to confirm that. Well, uh, initially, I was going to other people um, uh, and not going to my sponsor. (laughs) And so she just thought I was not doing my 10 steps. And um, she asked me if I could continue to do the step 10 with her. So um, she is the best person that knows me because she knows my history. She knows all the step work that I've done with her. And she would be better able to guide me through the step 10 and see if there's anything that I leave out. And sometimes, you know, we like to play games, even even as a recovered people, you know, um, that those tendencies tend to come up, the selfishness, the dishonesty, the resentment, and the fears tend to come up. So one of the things that she helps me and she guides me is to be um, totally honest with what I'm going through and, and when these things Pop up. She always refers me back to God. She always takes me back to God, and um, not to say that other recovered don't uh, other recovered people don't do the same, but because I do have that history with my sponsor, um, it's just like having the fifth step. You know, you're just doing another fifth step with with that person that you trust and you want to give them your very all. And I know I have some recovered people. Uh, and program that I do step tens with also. Um, but, you know, sometimes I'm reluctant to share every single thing with them. I know with my sponsor, I share everything with her. 
So that is the person that I'm most likely going to go to. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just saying do your 10 step, keep an inventory, continue to uh, be watchful for these things, continue to pray to God. Um, if you harm someone, you want to make amends. Uh, I know a lot of times, uh, you know, uh, in in if I went to my friend versus my sponsor, a lot of times I didn't have to make the, the amends, you know, because my 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 friend is not probably going to hold me accountable to that, you know. So it's easier not to follow through the whole process. <laughs> so, but I know with my sponsor, she's going to be, you know, very attentive to those details with me and um, and hold me responsible, you know, to making the amends make sure that I follow through, make sure that I do what I have to do in order to continue to go through this process. So um, like I said, there's no right or wrong way to do this um, as long as you do it. <laughs> so I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Kim. Sherry, your turn. Hi, this is Sherry from Massachusetts. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, oh, my goodness, Stu, it was so wonderful and refreshing to um, hear your story this morning because I could really identify. And um, I've been in and out of OA. I'm an alcoholic as well, and I have 28 years of sobriety in that program, but I have always battled with the food, up and down, up and down. And in and out of OA and not willing to give up my binge foods or my trigger foods or um, any of that because I really thought that that was a bunch of hogwash, you know. Um, the fact that I couldn't have sweeteners and coffees and, you know, and uh, I knew sugar and flour, but I did not agree um, with the other things. And it wasn't until about 30 days ago that after a surgery um, I did um, come to my knees and said, you know, God, I've been off this stuff anyways. The doctor said, don't, you know, this is what I want you to eat. And um, uh, it, it, it didn't contain the, the, my binge foods. So um, I was already off it. So I had like, um, so right now I, I have about 30 days, but I have gone through this process. And my question is, I'm getting to that. Um, my question is, I did go through this process with an AA Big Book Step Study sponsor, and we did go through the steps, and we did do it thoroughly. And But I was picking up the food the whole time. And that was, it took me about, um, I think it was about three years. I went in when I had 22 years of dry sobriety. And um, so it took me about three years to go through the process with her. I met with her once a week when I did my fifth, and I went over with my fourth with her. And and I saw her at my um, my big book meetings, and so I had a great relationship with her. She was right there. I saw, her, and I also talked to her every day, um, and I still talk to her three times a week. And I'm very grateful and, and fortunate that I have that relationship, and she's able to give me three times a week. I do do my ten step with her. Um, I give away my turnaround, and, and I believe what you just said is um, other people don't really know me, and I want to lie to them. You know, I'm not going to be honest. So I am with my sponsor because I went through this process of the 12 steps with her, and she knows me really well, and she calls me on everything. Um, other people aren't going to be able to call me on it because I don't really, they don't know me as well as she does. Um, so my question is, because I'm abstinent now and I'm just finally giving up my 
trigger foods and my binge foods. And it's like, oh, okay, food is just like alcohol. Like you said, um, you know, alcohol for me was just food in a liquid form. Um, and now that I am at the place that I'm at, um, I do have an OA sponsor who has gone through uh, the, the steps. And, um, but she cannot go, she doesn't have the time to take me through it. I wanted to go through it again just because I picked up so many times when I went Sherry, through with my... Yeah. can we have your question, please, just in yes. the interest of time? Thanks so much. Okay, I'm sorry. So my question is, is it a good... I, I've heard so many great sponsors that are willing to take people through the process on Vision for You, um, and my question is, is it a good idea or a bad idea? Or what, what, are you, what are your thoughts about me going through the process again because I was picking up my food all, you know, the other times versus going to and getting a live person that I can work with? Because if I get somebody off of this meeting, um, which that's where I find a lot of good ones, um, they're not in my area. So I'm just kind of confused and um, wanted to hear what your thoughts were on that. Thank you, Du. So I guess my, my first question for you is, where are you in the process? Are you abstinent? Have you let go of those binge foods, or are you still playing around and dabbling with your food? I have let them all go. Okay. And so do you have a sponsor right now, or do you, do you not? I do. I have an OA sponsor, and she and I did let go of all those binge foods and uh, trigger foods with her. And is That's she someone that can days. take you through the big book? She can't. She doesn't have time. Oh, so then I would say, you know, look for a sponsor, uh, you know, either on this meeting or someone that can, has the experience with the 12 steps. Um, you know, I, I hear this all the time on this meeting is, I need a Vision for You sponsor. No, you don't need a Vision for You sponsor. You need someone that knows the 12 steps, someone that yeah. knows the big book and take, can take you through the big book. That could be somebody on this line, somebody off of this line, as long as they know the big book. Um, if, I, you know, if I go to someone that, that doesn't know the big book and is um, you know, not schooled in the big book, then maybe that's someone that I'm, I'm, I won't want to go through, you know, because this book has a solution. This book has the steps. This book has, you know, the way out. And so I would say, you know, try to, um, uh, I know at, at the end of this meeting, uh, throughout the week, we have um, an opportunity for people to get on the line and ask for sponsors and their sponsors are available and people that can, um, you know, there, there are even people that say initially, I can, I can start you off with, with the doctor's opinion. And usually my experience is that people that um, start you off with the doctor's opinion, sometimes if they see that you're really willing to do the work and honest about uh, where you're at and, and, and willing to do the work, sometimes they take you on, even if they're just starting you off. And so uh, you need to keep praying to God to open your mind and your heart to um, find that sponsor that could take you through the steps. And I'm more sure that God will put the right sponsor in your path because if, you, if you're really honest and willing to do this process, believe me, there's no one that's going to be able to stop you from getting this. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you, Sherry. Michael. 
Your turn. Hi, is it my turn? This is Michael. Yes, Michael. Go right Thank ahead. You. Thank you so much. I just wanted to know, I'm a long-timer, and I've lost a lot of zest from what I once had, and I'm wondering if you actually can work with people with a big book, and could I get your number? I'm sorry, what was your question again? I was, I was wondering if you, still, if, if you are available to work with someone with a big book and to doctor's opinion. Uh, right now, I right now I am full um, with the capacity of people that I am taking through the big book. Um, so no, I I would not be available. Uh, but there are other recovered people out there that are available, and you could leave your number um, during the meeting uh, during the week, and I'm unsure you'll get someone to take you through that step process. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Michael. We'll give you an opportunity also at the conclusion of the meeting. And Linda, you're our final question for today. Go ahead. Linda, star one to unmute. Sorry about that. Hi, this is Linda uh, from Boston. Thank you, uh, Du, for your time and service today. I'm just going through the 12 steps of my visionary sponsor in the community. One thing that came to my mind was the amends section, the, uh, 8 and 9, making amends. And I was just wondering, um, how do you feel about um, when you're about to make amends, is it appropriate or something that you think would be useful to have, make a living amends. I heard about it talked I heard it talked about in the meetings the past few days and just wanted to hear what you what your belief or your what you um see in the big book of living amends is that useful to consider as well. Sure. Um well that word living amends is not found in the big book <laughs> but people use it to describe um an ongoing relationship with someone that they may need to continue to work on, you know, uh, making amends to that person or, or if they live with that person or they have a constant relationship with that person that they need to continue to change that behavior and, and be committed to what they've already committed in step nine, right, is, to, is that commitment of change behavior. Um, that they're not going to repeat that behavior again, that offending behavior again. And and in that way, you can say that's a living amends because you, you're interacting with that person on a constant basis versus making an amends that's a direct amends where you may see the person once and, and may not see that person ever again in your life. Um, so that's... Uh, I think that's that's the differences, and so people tend to come up with these really nice terminologies, you know, to describe uh, certain things that they're going through. And so uh, my experience in, in making amends versus making those living amends has been that people that I um, have harmed and have offended, and as I go through the process of making those restitutions or those amends, um, to those people, I, I may just um, 
do my amends, and, and again, I may or may not see those people again in my life. Um, but I make sure that when I am going to make an amends, that I have the right attitude. Because if I go and make an amends and say I'm sorry and I regret my behavior, and then the next week I'm repeating the same behavior, that's not making an amends. Or if I go to that person and I'm still angry or I'm fearful or I'm um, uh, displaying some sort of uh, behavior or conduct that's unbecoming, and I'm, I'm saying to that person that I'm changing and my actions don't show that, that is not a proper amends. So that most likely is going to show that I'm going to have to repeat that amends. So one of the things that um, I do when I do my step work, I make sure that my heart attitude is connected with God, that I have the right attitude before going to make that amends, that I really mean what I say I'm going to do. Um, as flawed people, we're constantly going to be making mistakes. That's why this is an ongoing process versus doing it once and that's it. Um, you know, and as a flawed person, I know I'm going to continue to make mistakes in my life and that um, maybe I, I won't be able to uphold those commitments. But the great thing about doing the 10 step is that I continue to work on this. I continue to rectify those behaviors every each and every day. And so I continue to change my behavior every day um, with the help of God, of course. And so one of the things that I think about um, when talking about making a living amends is my son. Um, I have an 18-year-old son who's, who's presently going to college. But prior to that, when I was doing my amends about two years ago, um, I had gone up to him and I said, um, well, prior to that, I did my amends a couple of times and it didn't work because I really wasn't changing my behavior. So when I finally uh, did this the right way and the way the big book um, outlines it, um, I went to my son and I said, you know, I, I really am sorry for what I did. I regret, you know, the way I acted and the way I behaved. And and this is what I plan to do. And I stated the behavior that I was going to change. Um, and I said, I plan, you know, to be a mother to you. And I'm just not going to say anything because I'm my, my amends to you is that I always said that I was going to do something. I never did it. So this time I'm going to do a living amends to you, which I'm going to, on an ongoing process, I'm going to show you that I am a changed person. And sure enough, um, by the time I, um, a year later, went around after I made my amends and uh, he saw some changes in me, um, he came up to me and he said, Mom, he says, if I had to have the mother that you were before, to the mother that you are today. I choose the mother that you are today. And the only thing that I ask from you is that you keep improving and you keep changing and you keep getting better. 